0: Welcome to Imagineer Tours! This tour of Main Street USA at Walt Disney World is a guided walking tour that can be enjoyed from the park itself or from the comfort of home. Just to be upfront before we get started, park admission and other products mentioned in this product are not included in the tour and this presentation is in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. In addition, all attractions and offerings are subject to change, so I recommend visiting the official Walt Disney World website to see what attractions might be available. If you're listening to this tour from home, I recommend opening a Street View program like Google Maps to better visualize what you hear. No matter how you choose to enjoy this presentation, I sincerely hope it brings you happiness, new knowledge, and a dash of pixie dust. Let's get started. Welcome to a world of fantasy and imagination. Welcome to the Magic Kingdom. I'm incredibly excited to walk you through this virtual tour of the park, and if you're listening from the park itself, my plan is to guide you step by step through Main Street USA so you can literally see all the details. It might even feel like you're walking through the park for the very first time with this fresh set of eyes. If you're listening from outside the berm of the Magic Kingdom, I hope this tour makes you feel like you've virtually transported to the park, and I certainly encourage you to take a trip to Walt Disney World as soon as you can to experience these details in person. For those of you at the park, we're going to begin our journey just past the front gates. Find some shade in front of the Main Street train station and let's begin our Grand Circle Tour. Before we move on to Main Street USA, let's take a quick look back in time. On October 1st, 1971, the Magic Kingdom opened to the public. Walt Disney World was quite different back then, and as you gaze out from the front gates of the park toward the Seven Seas Lagoon, I encourage you to think about how much the city we call Disney World has developed since then. When it opened, the Magic Kingdom was accompanied by only three resorts. Disney's contemporary resort, Disney's Polynesian Resort, and Disney's Fort Wilderness Resort and Campground, although the last of those opened a month after the others. Epcot was still a distant dream, and the other two theme parks, two water parks, 30 resorts, Disney Spring Shopping District, and various entertainment complexes were decades from being developed. While the Walt Disney World Resort was originally set to be called Disney World, Walt's tragic passing in 1966 prompted his brother and business partner, Roy O. Disney, to dedicate the Florida Project to his little brother, whose visionary mind and inspiring leadership brought this dream to life. At the Magic Kingdom's dedication ceremony, Roy took to the podium and delivered these words. Walt Disney World is a tribute to the philosophy and life of Walter Elias Disney, and to the talents, the dedication, and the loyalty of the entire Disney organization that made Walt Disney's dream come true. May Walt Disney World bring joy and inspiration and new knowledge to all who come to this happy place. A magic kingdom where the young at heart of all ages can laugh and play and learn together. There's so much time and attention that Walt Disney and his team contributed to Walt Disney World, and most of these details go unnoticed by the public. While that might seem impractical, Walt always believed that quality and scrupulous detail could create an experience that blurs the lines of reality and fantasy, even if the public only notices them subconsciously. My objective with this tour is to help you peel back the layers of the park to better understand and appreciate these details, the stories that support them, and the decisions that brought them to life. Although I was born long after this team of artists and engineers came together to create Walt Disney World, I have been studying the Walt Disney Company, particularly the parks and resorts, ever since I was a young kid. With hundreds of visits to Walt Disney World since my first trip when I was merely 4 months old, A few years of experience working at Walt Disney World as a cast member and a lifelong passion for the brand and its history. I have spent my life studying all things Disney, and I am thrilled to have the opportunity to virtually walk you through the Magic Kingdom today. Whether you're listening from the park or are vacationing vicariously through this tour, I sincerely hope you enjoy your journey through this historic and magical world of fantasy. MILES FROM REALITY Before we head into the park, take a quick moment to think about how you got here today. Unless you're staying at Disney's Contemporary Resort and walked over from the hotel's front entrance, you likely got here by bus, monorail, ferryboat, or perhaps Disney's minivan service. Now take a moment to think about where you parked your car. If you flew to Walt Disney World and used Disney's Magical Express, it's probably back at home. If you took a bus from the resorts, it might be back at the hotel. If you drove straight to the Magic Kingdom and parked at the Transportation and Ticket Center, the main way most guests arrived at the park on opening day, you're now officially a mile away from where you parked your vehicle, separated by a body of water larger than the park itself. The trip back to your car might seem like a commute in itself, at least 20 minutes I'd say, and that genius design is your first step to escaping reality. After Walt created his first park, Disneyland in California, he soon realized the flaw of building a theme park on a small plot of land. Cheap motels quickly sprung up outside the park's border, and local California residents visiting the park could easily see the traffic on the I-5 interstate when riding the skyway between Fantasyland and Tomorrowland, which would often prompt them to leave the park early, walk out the front gates, and quickly arrive at their car to begin the journey home. While the shortened days meant fewer profits for the park, the ability to see beyond the borders of Disneyland also destroyed the fantasy world that Walt and his team worked so meticulously to create. Fortunately, Walt would not make the same mistake with Walt Disney World, and when we enter Main Street USA in a few moments, I'll share exactly what he and his brother Roy did that helped the company acquire so much land in Central Florida. With so much property purchased, a space as large as the city of San Francisco, or twice as large as the island of Manhattan, Walt knew he wanted to separate the Magic Kingdom parking lot from the park as much as practical, not just to encourage guests to stay for the full day, but also, more importantly, to enable them to leave their worries as far behind as possible. After all, the mission of the Walt Disney Company is a simple and powerful one, to create happiness and separating you from your worries is an effective first step in making that happen. While this idea might be less effective in the digital era, imagine what your experience would be like if all your digital devices were back in your car right now. That's how guests felt back in 1971. Let's now head over to the tunnels underneath the Main Street train station. As you walk over, listen carefully to the music that you hear. It's going to be a key theme of our next part of the tour. Take a quick look around and I'll be back with you in just a few seconds. Enter the show. Now that we're in another shaded spot, take a look around you. What do you see within the tunnel? Other than the stroller rentals, you'll probably notice various posters along the way for Magic Kingdom attractions. Attractions like Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, Splash Mountain, Happily Ever After, and other park experiences. What do you smell? Chances are you can smell some popcorn right about now. And how about that music I mentioned? Out at the front entrance, you might have heard an instrumental rendition of You've Got a Friend in Me, When You Wish Upon a Star, The Tiki 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 Room, or even Zippity-Doodah. Posters, popcorn, and music. Where else can you find all three of these things? If you're thinking of a movie theater, you're absolutely correct. When Walt Disney designed his Magic Kingdom, he wanted to truly bring his movies to life. After all, he had been in the movie making industry for more than two decades before Disneyland even opened. In fact, Walt's dream for Disneyland was more than just a place for families to have fun together. It was meant to bring his films to reality in a whole new way. At a movie theater, Walt could only control what happened on the screen. The cleanliness of the theater. The quality and selection of concessions, the comfort of the seats, the friendliness of the staff, and even the sound system were completely out of his control and varied from one movie theater to the next. With a theme park, Walt wouldn't just take guests to the movies, he would bring them into the movies, controlling every single part of the experience. The sights, sounds, smells, and even tastes and textures. The Magic Kingdom is a four-dimensional, multi-sensory movie experience and the tunnel you're standing in now is the lobby to the theater. It's why you see posters for the coming attractions in the park, just like you'd see posters or previews for the coming attractions in a movie theater. And it's why Walt chose to place popcorn carts at the opposite entrance of the tunnel, since popcorn is perhaps the most famous movie theater concession. And yes, it is true that Disney pumps the smell of popcorn out onto the street, further adding to the sensory experience. The tunnel you're standing in now is the final curtain call, and your movie experience is about to begin. This next section is going to take us back to a simpler time, and there's quite a bit to discuss. Might I recommend grabbing a box of that delicious popcorn and perhaps a refreshing beverage? Once you have these items in hand, head up the stairs to the Main Street train station and find an available bench, preferably in the shade, at the entrance of the station. It'll give you the perfect view over Town Square, which is where our story continues. It all began with Waltz. Main Street, USA is considered the gateway to the Magic Kingdom. It's the first land you enter, the last land you exit, and the perfect transition to the other five themed lands of the park. It's inspired by real places, yet it still feels like a world beyond reality. Not too surprisingly, the inspiration for Main Street USA stems from Walt Disney himself. Although Walt was born in Chicago on December 5th, 1901, his family soon moved to a beautiful 40-acre farm in Marceline, Missouri a small town roughly 120 miles northeast of Kansas City, because Walt's father, Elias Disney, felt it would be a more suitable place to raise a family. Walt, along with his parents Elias and Flora, his brothers Herbert, Raymond, and Roy, and his sister Ruth lived in Marceline from 1906 until 1911. Walt always loved his home in Marceline and thought of it as an oasis, the perfect place to spend his childhood. And perhaps even more than that, He thought of his lifestyle there as the way that life ought to be lived. Even his wife Lillian would later say that Marceline was the most important part of Walt's life. And when the business misfortunes of his father forced them to relocate to Kansas City in 1911, the loss of Marceline would become a defining moment in Walt's life. For the rest of his lifetime, Walt would try to recapture the feeling of Marceline its sense of freedom, its feeling of community, the natural splendor of its wildlife, and even its railroad. Perhaps the closest Walt ever came to recapturing Marceline was Main Street, USA. Although the town was also partly inspired by Fort Collins, Colorado, the hometown of Disney artist Harper Goff, the town more substantially encapsulates the fond, utopian feelings Walt had for his turn-of-the-century home in Missouri the ragtime music, the early 20th century trolleys, the horse and carriage rides, the Dapper dance Barbershop Quartet, the grandiose theater, the local firehouse, the beautiful town square, the central train station, the quaint shops and restaurants, and even the cast member costumes are all inspired by Walt's memories of Marceline. Like all Disney creations, Main Street is driven by story the story of Walt's fondest childhood memories and executed with extraordinary attention to detail, details that we'll take a look at more closely as we continue the walking portion of our tour. Before we get walking though, we have to discuss the keys to the park. Did you know that the Disney parks are shaped by four keys? Of course, I'm not talking about literal keys here, The Four Keys are Disney's four priorities for guest experiences, both in designing the experiences and operating them on a daily basis. Whenever you buy popcorn, ask a cast member for directions, ride an attraction, watch a parade, or even just walk through the park. You're experiencing Disney's carefully crafted Four Keys, and we're going to see a wide range of examples of these principles in practice as we continue our tour. So what are the Four Keys? They're priorities that are encapsulated in four simple words, safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency. All four are crucial to creating a happy guest experience, but the order of operations provides all cast members with a blueprint for how to prioritize and react when it might not be possible to maintain all four at once. The first and most important key is safety. Walt Disney wanted his parks to be safe and the company has gone through unprecedented lengths to make that possible. Aside from the obvious security measures like security cast members and bag checks at the park entrance, the Magic Kingdom was designed with some ingenious ideas for safety. First, let's look up at the top of the buildings on Main Street. You see all those beautiful flags? They're certainly beautiful, but they're not just flagpoles, they're lightning rods. With Florida being the lightning capital of the world, thunderstorms are almost a daily occurrence, especially in the summer. Thankfully, the parks are filled to the brim with lightning rods, keeping guests safe even if they can't immediately seek shelter. Next, let's look down to the pavement. It sure looks tough as concrete, doesn't it? I can only imagine seeing an excited toddler running towards Mickey Mouse only to take a tumble and scrape his knee on the ground. Thankfully, the Walt Disney Imagineers thought of that too. The pavement is actually a blend of cement and rubber, which provides a bit of a bounce if anyone falls to the ground and it also helps to alleviate strain on your feet and knees so you can more easily spend the day walking through the parks. Oh, and while we're looking at the ground, you also might notice the color difference between the street and the sidewalk, a dark gray against a soft red. It's not too uncommon to see guests looking up at Cinderella Castle or at the various windows on Main Street, which would make it more likely for them to trip on a curb as they make their way toward the hub. The contrasting colors on the ground make it easier for guests to see the change in elevation in their peripheral vision, making it far less likely that anyone will trip. Disney safety measures are so integral to park operations at every stage of the guest experience that I could spend hours showing off examples. For now, I'll simply encourage you to continue looking for examples as we continue our tour. The second of the four keys, courtesy, is also incredibly important, although not necessarily as important as safety. I'm sure you can think of a few possible examples when a cast member might have to forego courtesy to maintain a safe environment, although the drop in courtesy is always a last resort. For now, take a quick look around and see if you can find any examples of courtesy. I'm sure many of you are probably thinking of the cast members around the park, and they certainly do embody this principle well. Disney does a fantastic job of selecting courteous cast members for the parks, and an even better job of training them to create happiness in their roles. Can you find any examples of courtesy in the design of the park? How about those trash bins? A trash bin might seem ordinary, but it's taken a step further at Disney. I think it's safe to say you've never struggled to throw out your trash at Disney. That's because there's never a bin more than 30 feet away, and yes, the company actually researched how far someone would be willing to go with their trash, and the answer they found was 30 feet. In addition, custodial cast members ensure that there's never an overflowing trash can, and even non-custodial cast members are trained to pick up trash they might find on the street and throw it out in the nearest trash can, as long as the item in question doesn't pose a safety issue for that cast member. I'll show off one more fun hidden example of courtesy. Take a look down Main Street, USA just beyond the edge of the last building. It's usually very difficult to see unless the park is empty, but there's a bit of a courtesy feature built into the design of the street. Remember how you feel when you walk into the park in the morning? You're full of excitement, bursting with energy, ready to take on the day. And how do you feel at the end of the day? You're likely still happy and full of joy, but perhaps a bit more tired and dreaming of resting your legs as soon as possible. If you have young kids, it also becomes a bit more challenging to push that stroller those last few hundred steps. Walt knew this would be the case, so he built a slight incline at the end of Main Street USA. Going into the park when you're bursting with energy, you will go up a very shallow incline to head toward the castle. Leaving at the end of the day, when you're at your most tired, you get a little courteous downhill slope to help you leave the park a bit easier. I'll point out the slope again when we reach the end of Main Street, where it will be a bit clearer to notice. Show is the next key, and although it's the third on the list, it's likely the most obvious of the four. We've already discussed quite a few examples of show in the design of the park, and we'll discuss many more. Show extends beyond the buildings and the rides, though cast members play a big role in the show. It's why cast members dress in particular costumes, use specific greetings, and in nearly every case, act in a certain way. Think about how differently a Haunted Mansion maid behaves compared to a Jungle Cruise skipper. Each focuses on safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency, but their embodiment of show is very different, much like two movies would feature different characters. Show also affects choices in lighting, sound, color, fonts, merchandise, menu choices in a restaurant, horticulture, pavement and flooring, vehicle design, and beyond. It's the element of show that attracts many Disney fans to want to become Imagineers, because Disney does show better than anyone else, and, pun intended, it shows. A common myth states that the fourth key, efficiency, is unimportant. While it might not be as important as the other three keys, Disney still feels it's an important one. Efficiency is what ensures every guest has an equal opportunity to experience the park, and Disney does whatever possible to make it so. It's why the Imagineers built two Space Mountain tracks instead of one, doubling the hourly capacity for the park's most popular attraction. It's why all cast members are trained to follow specific actions and procedures in each role, ones that can be repeated and perfected with increasing speed all without sacrificing safety, courtesy, or show. And it's why Disney added FastPass in 1999, allowing each guest to choose a handful of attractions to experience with a minimal weight. You can also imagine how important efficiency becomes when safety issues arise. And Disney has created some brilliant procedures for helping to evacuate guests in those kinds of cases. From carefully placed emergency exits to extensive cast member training and a close partnership with local authorities. As we continue our tour, I encourage you to keep these four keys in the back of your mind and identify cases when you see one or two being prioritized, or when you can see all four existing in harmony, whether through the design of the park or through an interaction with a cast member. Before we move forward, let's take a quick look inside the lobby of the train station. Throughout his lifetime, Walt had a fascination with trains, and the extent of this hobby is enough to cover a multi-hour tour in itself. It's only fitting that the Magic Kingdom has its own railroad, called the Walt Disney World Railroad, and its lobby looks similar to what you might find in a turn-of-the-20th-century railroad station. The Walt Disney World Railroad offers a grand circle tour of the Magic Kingdom, making stops at Frontierland, Fantasyland, and Main Street, USA and each train is named after a historic Disney figure. The Walter E. Disney, the Lily Bell, named after Walt's wife Lillian, the Roy O. Disney, named after Walt's older brother, and the Roger E. Broggy, named after the Imagineer who designed this classic attraction. Alright, let's take a quick break and regroup for a walk down Main Street, USA. You'll find restrooms down near the fire station in Town Square if you need them, and might I recommend grabbing a drink of water and perhaps a snack for the next segment of the tour. Pause here if you need it and meet me at the bottom of the stairs of the Main Street train station. Oh, and if you have a little extra time, you might also want to explore the first floor of the railroad station, which includes some more details and a few names that will come up later today. Press play when you're ready to continue, and I'll see you soon. Meet me at Town Square. Before we continue, let's take a little pop quiz, and don't worry, this quiz won't be graded in any way. Take a look down Main Street USA and set your eyes on Cinderella Castle. How many bricks and stones were used to build this iconic structure? It might seem like a tough question, but we won't be scoring you here, so give it your best guess. Keep your answer in mind, or perhaps even write it down on your phone's notepad or a piece of paper. We're going to reveal it a little later on. For now, we're going to discuss urban planning because Disney has really taken guest experience to heart with the Magic Kingdom. Remember the four keys, safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency? Effective urban planning for Disney addresses all four. In fact, Main Street USA was built with a conscious thought process as to what goes on each side of the street. By far, most of the world is right-handed. If you're left-handed, you share this trait with only about 10% of the world's population. Why does this statistic matter? Well, a good detective would be able to tell if you're a righty or a lefty just by observing where you place common items in your home. A righty would place a cup on the right side of a coffee table or keep a notepad and pencil on the right side of a desk, while a lefty would typically do the opposite. And because most visitors to Walt Disney World drive on the right side of the road, they also tend to walk on the right side of the street. With Main Street USA being the Magic Kingdom's only entrance and exit, this means that most guests will enter leaning towards the Tomorrowland side of Main Street and exit leaning towards the Adventureland side of the street. Fittingly, the Imagineers decided to place Main Street's shops in a way that follows this pattern. When you enter the park, you might need to pick up a stroller or a scooter, so you'll find those services are mostly on the right side of the front entrance. After you enter the park in the morning, you might realize you need a quick cup of coffee and perhaps something to eat on the go. So the Main Street Bakery is on the Tomorrowland side of the street about three-quarters of the way to the hub. When you exit, you might want to purchase a souvenir on your way out, or at least Disney hopes you will. So the Imagineers placed the majority of gift shops on the Adventureland side of Main Street, and they even connected the stores over time, turning multiple shops into one giant emporium in the early 2000s. As you're leaving the park, you might need to chat with guest relations about an item you lost at the park, or you might have sent an item for package pickup at the end of the day, so they placed guest relations on the right-hand side as you exit the park. From where you're standing in Town Square, you can see guest relations in the City Hall building on your left. This urban planning also had an impact on the hub, which we'll discuss when we get to the end of Main Street. Before we take a closer look at some of the specific buildings along Main Street, I promised I would share how Walt Disney and his brother Roy were able to acquire so much land in Central Florida. Orlando looked very different in the 1960s. The city was much less populated, less than a third of today's population, and had much more swampland when compared to today's urban sprawl. With Disneyland's success, Walt was hoping to find a place large enough to build all the ideas he could possibly imagine. He and Roy considered a few locations, including even the Florida coastline, but ultimately settled on a plot of land roughly 25 miles southwest of downtown Orlando, nestled between I-4 and the Florida State Turnpike, the perfect intersection for travelers driving across the state. With the global reputation of the Walt Disney Company, Walt and Roy knew that any hint of the company buying land would result in a dramatic spike in the cost of their purchase. So they decided to keep the project secret calling it Project X, and they made every effort possible to cover their tracks, using fake names when staying in Florida hotels and listing various other legitimate reasons for their visit on company travel reports. They also began setting up dummy corporations, each with clever names that are referenced here on Main Street USA, to buy up the land. While many locals were naturally suspicious as to why so much land was being purchased in this rural plot of Central Florida, even a few suspected Disney, to which Walt well, quickly brushed off the idea, Walt and Roy managed to purchase 27,400 acres of land for a cost of a little more than $5 million. By the fall of 1965, Walt and Roy had purchased nearly all the land they were considering for Project X, but it was only a matter of time before somebody noticed. One day at the Disney Studios in Burbank, an Orlando reporter, Emily Bavar, approached Walt and asked him if Disney was buying land in Florida. Walt gave a long answer, citing all the reasons he would not consider buying in Florida. The heat and humidity, the hurricanes, the small local population, the far distance from other popular attractions, and more. Although his reasons seemed valid, Emily suspected Walt knew a little too much about Orlando for someone who was not interested. That October, Emily published an article in the Orlando Sentinel Star calling Disney the mystery industry behind the land purchased. Her analysis of Walt's answer was of course accurate, and that November, Walt and Florida Governor Hayden Burns held a press conference to confirm Disney's Florida project. As we walk down Main Street, we'll see dozens of names in the windows. Like credits in a movie, these windows pay tribute to those who played a large role in the development of Walt Disney World and to the Disney company as a whole. And since Disney has a sense of humor, the windows also include the names of some of the dummy corporations used to purchase the more than 27,000 acres that make up Walt Disney World. I'll be sure to point them out as we pass them by. For now, let's proceed to the theater on your right. There are a few shady spots out front, or you can head inside the entrance of the theater if you'd really like to get out of the elements. When you visit Disneyland in California, which I encourage all Disney fans to do at least once for its history and attractions, this side of Main Street USA features the Opera House, a similar concept to the Town Square Theatre, but with a slight twist. Disneyland's Opera House is the home of great moments with Mr. Lincoln a classic attraction from the 1964 World's Fair that featured the first advanced audio-animatronic figure of a living person, a feat that stunned 1964 audiences who believed they were watching a live actor performing on stage. At Walt Disney World, the Town Square Theatre is a place where guests can line up to meet Mickey Mouse, Tinker Bell, and other Disney characters during select times of the year. While this attraction has been in place since 2011, the history of the theater dates back to 1973, two years after the Magic Kingdom opened when it was known as the Walt Disney Story Theater. In some ways, I wish the Walt Disney Story Theater were still around because it included a 23-minute show called The Walt Disney Story, which was hosted by Walt Disney himself. In the film, Walt shared the history of his life, starting with his years spent in Marceline, which inspired Main Street USA, up until the creation of Disneyland. The show concluded with Walt's vision for Epcot, which would later open in 1982, and was Walt's final dream, although the Epcot Walt had in mind draws more similarities to Walt Disney World as a whole than it does to the Epcot theme park we know today. Like Walt Disney Presents, an attraction that opened years later at Disney's Hollywood Studios, the Walt Disney Story Theater also included an exhibit showcasing artifacts from Walt's life, including his eight Academy Awards for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, photographs of Walt, letters, and scale models of various Disney attractions and movie props. The exhibit also included a large mural drawn by Bill Justice, an iconic Disney artist and Imagineer, that featured over 170 Disney characters and took four months to complete. Perhaps most famous of all, the post-show experience included a model of the Western River Expedition, an attraction that was slated to be built in Frontierland but ultimately never opened. From 1971 until 1998, the Walt Disney Story Theater continued to welcome guests, except for a period of time between 1992 and 1996 when the attraction was closed for a time, and the two theaters inside the structure received a couple of updates over those decades, changing to the Epcot Preview Center in 1981, the Disney MGM Studios Preview Center in 1988, the Walt Disney World 25th Anniversary Welcome Center in 1996, and the Disney's Animal Kingdom Welcome Center in 1997. In 1998, the Walt Disney Story Theater then reopened as the Town Square Exhibition Hall, and the experience changed to focus on photography thanks to a partnership with Kodak, which was a major sponsor of the Walt Disney Company in the 1990s. Especially since this exhibit took place in the age of print photography, when park photos weren't quite as prolific as they are today, and digital photos were far less common, the exhibit was the perfect way to inspire guests to capture and take home some photos of their vacation. Years later, a major change occurred at the Magic Kingdom when Disney announced that Fantasyland would be receiving an expansion with a handful of new attractions to be added to what would be called New Fantasyland. At the time, Mickey's Toontown Fair was one of the seven themed lands of the Magic Kingdom, nestled at the far northeast corner just beyond Tomorrowland. Toontown was the official place to meet Mickey and his pals in the park, and with the New Fantasyland expansion set to replace Toontown, Mickey needed to find a new home. The Town Square Exhibition Hall seemed to be the perfect spot. On April 1st, 2011, the Town Square Exhibition Hall became the Town Square Theater, and the two theaters that once showed the history of Walt and the future of the parks were repurposed to two meet-and-greet locations, which gave guests the ability to meet Mickey and Minnie Mouse in one, or Disney Princesses in the other. This location was also the first to feature a talking Mickey Mouse meet-and-greet, which began in 2013 and was discontinued in 2018. Today, guests visiting the park still have the option of meeting Mickey Mouse in one theater, but after the princesses moved to Princess Fairytale Hall with the opening of New Fantasyland, Tinkerbell took up residence in the second theater. For those of you interested in finding some Easter eggs, Town Square Theater has quite a few. When you first walk into the theater, take a look at the floor and you'll find the year it was established, 1901. Not surprisingly, this date is a reference to the year that Walt Disney was born, and the year is also written on a painting of the Town Square Theater in the Fastpass queue. If you don't have a Fastpass, the standby queue has some fun details as well, including references to Fred Moore and Ward Kimball, two famous Disney animators. Also in the queue is a letter to Mickey from S.A. Tilly, a publicist at Walt Disney Imagineering. And remember Bill Justice, the artist who designed that mural? Well, the mural no longer exists here, except as a tribute towards the end of the cube. Look for a cubby with the name Bee Justice. In that cubby, you'll see a rolled up miniature version of Bill's mural. When you meet Mickey, you'll find a number of Easter eggs as well. First, look for a trunk full of cards. You'll find a reference to Colonel Hathi from the Jungle Book, as well as a hidden Mickey made of three linking rings. Next, look at Mickey's desk, and you'll see a letter written by Angus McBadger from J. Thaddeus Toad Motors LCD. In the letter, Angus mentions the nifty 90s. Of course, this is all in reference to Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, which closed at the Magic Kingdom in 1998. Above the desk you'll also find Mickey's Sorcerer's Apprentice hat, as well as a globe with the name Leota written on it, a reference to Imagineer Leota Tombs and her permanent tribute in the Haunted Mansion as Madame Leota. Finally, see if you can find a birdcage with the name Joyce written on it. The name is a reference to Imagineer Joyce Carlson and the mirror illusion you'll see in the birdcage is only fitting since one of Joyce's many projects at Walt Disney Imagineering was the Haunted Mansion. It just goes to show how much detail Disney puts into its attractions, including the meet and greets. Feel free to get in line to meet Mickey Mouse or Tinkerbell if you like. When you're done, head back out to Town Square and walk across the street to City Hall. If you need a restroom break, you'll find the restrooms just to the right of this building. I'll see you in the front of City Hall in a little bit. City Hall Welcome back! Before we continue our tour, I want to point out Tony's Town Square Restaurant, which is just to the left of Town Square Theatre. Aside from being a great place to dine for lunch or dinner, it also holds a Lady in the Tramp theme that evokes the romantic Bella Notte scene from the movie. So why did Disney choose a Lady in the Tramp restaurant? It wasn't just for the Italian cuisine. The architecture in the film also has many similarities to Main Street USA, so the choice was a fitting one for this land. While we're in front of City Hall, I want to make sure to recognize the real VIP tour guides of Magic Kingdom. Whether you book a private Disney VIP tour, or an official Disney group tour like Keys to the Kingdom, which I have done several times and highly recommend to others, These guides are all trained to provide guests with the highest level of service, and they all have extensive knowledge about Disney, a knowledge that grows every day as they continue learning the organization's history. When tour guides complete their training, these cast members also receive a riding crop, a tribute to Walt's lifelong love for horses that serves as a fitting accessory to their equestrian costumes. City Hall is also the place where you can go to pick up celebration buttons, indicating that you're celebrating a birthday, anniversary, honeymoon, or any other kind of occasion. Or to pick up a show translator, request special services, or handle any other matter that might require some additional guest service. Disney cast members are always trained to provide the best service possible, and still, the cast members at Guest Relations receive even more training in this field. Also, take a quick look up at the roof of City Hall. You might have noticed that most of the flags on Main Street USA resemble the United States national flag. However, the flag atop City Hall is the Magic Kingdom flag, serving as another icon for guests that this building is the place to go for any guest service needs. Since a town city hall is often a governmental structure, the inside of the building includes a few nods to American history. Behind the guest relations desk, you'll find paintings of Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, as well as a painting depicting the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad. You'll also find photographs of Walt and Roy Disney. After all, every city has a picture or painting of its founders. Let's now head next door to the firehouse, because it's full of even more history. Before we head inside, I want to quickly point out the flagpole in the middle of Main Street USA. Remember those flags I talked about earlier, the ones that are actually lightning rods? Well, I left out a rather fun piece of trivia for this part of the tour. Believe it or not, none of those US flags are real. If you take a closer look, you'll notice that each one of them is missing a star or a stripe. Why would Disney choose to create fake flags for an iconic land like Main Street USA? Well, the United States has a rather traditional code when it comes to displaying the flag of the United States. For example, the flag must be hoisted and lowered each day at sunrise and sunset, lowered in inclement weather, and set to half-staff on certain federal holidays and occasions, among a long list of many other rules and procedures you can find in Title IV, Chapter 1 of the United States Code. You can imagine the work it would take just to raise and lower all of those flags each day. So Disney chose to make them simply look like the US flag instead. That brings us back to the flagpole in the middle of Town Square. The flag you see is indeed the real flag of the United States, the only one on Main Street USA, and Disney has a ceremony for it every day at about 5 o'clock p.m. The Walt Disney World website describes the ceremony as follows. Salute the spirit of America, say the Pledge of Allegiance and hear the trumpet fanfare sound retreat in this daily tradition. Watch as the American flag is lowered while the Philharmonic plays the Star Spangled Banner. Members of the color guard remove the flag from the staff and fold it while guests are led in a chorus of God Bless America. Then, a special guest veteran is handed the flag, followed by a short procession down Main Street, USA. The ceremony is a tribute, a thank you to veterans for their service, sacrifice, and dedication to protecting our country. If you have not seen the ceremony before, I recommend stopping back here at about 10-5 to 5 in the evening. It's worth seeing at least once. Turning our attention to the firehouse, you might first notice the name posted on the top, Engine Company 71. Of course, that's a tribute to the year that Walt Disney World opened. In Disneyland California, the second floor of the firehouse is Walt's apartment, a private residence that Walt Disney had built for himself and his family whenever they would come visit the park. When Walt did visit the park, he would traditionally light a lantern in the window to let cast members know that the boss was in. And to this very day, the team over at Disneyland keeps Walt's lantern lit to let cast members know that Walt is still with us, watching to make sure his park is in optimal condition. When Walt was making plans for Disney World, he still wanted an apartment built for him and his family, but he decided on another location, one that I'll point out a little later on in the tour. As far as the second floor of Engine Company 71 is concerned, he won't find an apartment there, but no space at Disney goes to waste and so there are a few offices up on the second floor for cast members overseeing park operations. Back on the first floor, the firehouse is now the home of the interactive Magic Kingdom park experience called Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom. This game might be Magic Kingdom's best kept secret and costs absolutely nothing extra for park guests to participate. Guests who accept this mission, let's call them volunteers, this is a firehouse after all, are provided with a sorcerer key card, spell cards, and a map of 20 magic portals spread throughout the park. Each mission, which lasts 20 to 30 minutes, sends guests on a quest to stop some Disney villains from finding an enchanted crystal which you can only suspect they plan to use for something truly villainous. Each time you complete a mission, you collect more spell cards, and just like a real game, the more cards you collect, the more powers at your hands. Best yet, you get to take the spell cards home with you, and can bring them back on a return visit to Walt Disney World to continue playing. It's little experiences like this game that make Disney truly memorable for families. While you're getting set up with Sorcerers to the Magic Kingdom, you might also notice a large number of firehouse patches and glass cases along the walls. These are real patches that have been donated by some brave men and women working at firehouses across the country visiting Walt Disney World. See if you can spot your local department somewhere along the wall. We're now more than halfway through Town Square and our next stop takes us to the car barn in the corner just beyond the firehouse. On your way over there, I have another pop quiz for you, but this time, I won't make you wait long for the answer. Ready? Which of these jobs did Walt Disney have before starting his first animation company? A. A newspaper delivery boy B. A train vendor selling snacks to passengers C. An ambulance driver for the Red Cross or D. All of the above? Let's head on over to the car barn and I'll share the answer with you there.